this is the sheriff's office. Someone from your phone dialed nine one one. I'm at Cal. Um, I'm at Cal Beach right now, and there's a couple kids that just got washed into the water, and the parents are trying to get them out. I'm Damian Bulwa, and this is Fifth and Mission. What you just heard was a 911 call from a beach south of Half Moon Bay. It was January 18th, and a series of big waves had come out of nowhere, bringing panic and chaos to the shore. One boy named Arune was pulled into the ocean as his parents tried to save him. This past winter, Chronicle reporter Nora Mashanik was covering breaking news, and she found herself repeatedly writing about similar incidents. People up and down the coast in the Bay Area were being surprised by huge waves as they walked or played in the shallow surf. Nora spent time with the family of Arune, the boy who remains missing to this day, and she found that many people simply aren't aware of the danger of the phenomenon of sneaker waves. She also found that Arune's family has decided to make it a mission to try to raise awareness about this problem. Nora, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Nora, this is a devastating story for readers and listeners. It is available at sfchronicle.com. We can really identify, can't we, with with these things that happen at the beach. Think of ourselves in these situations. These are often people who are in everyday situations. They don't think there's any danger there. You know, just have their feet in the water, and then all of a sudden the beach has been turned into this rescue scene or this scene of, of chaos. And that seems to be kind of the theme of a lot of these cases you're covering. Yeah, this this family, that was the very first thing when I first spoke to Arne's father. He said, we felt like this could have been prevented. Like, we just didn't know that this could happen. We didn't know that we were just going to go to the beach for what was a day of recreation and running around without masks and just playing with friends. and And this that's what families do at the beach and that we were going to lose our son. Like we just had no clue that this was a possibility. And if we had known we wouldn't have gone or we would have done something differently. And just the, I think the process, their process of trying to understand what happened was looking back like any parent would and looking back and, and looking at all the steps that led up to it. And it really broke my heart to hear him talk about that. And I felt like if he was going to share that pain in an effort to raise awareness, then it was our job at the Chronicle to listen and do the best we could to help him on that mission. Well, let's talk about RNA Pruthi. Who, who is he and what happened that day on the beach? RNA Pruthi was a 12-year-old boy And he went to the beach on January 18th with his family and his younger brother, Sadant. And they got to the beach and he and Sadant went off to play with their friends. They were running, just running on the beach like kids do. And and Sadant went to the water's edge. His parents said he, he looked like he just wanted to let the water graze his feet. And a wave came and snatched him into the water. And it's it's unclear exactly what where Arne was at this moment because everyone was so focused on his brother. But another person on the beach, a family friend, he started running towards the water and he saw Arne and he went to grab Arne's hand. 
and um, just hold on to, to RNA. And another massive wave came and swept them both into the water. And the people on the beach created a human chain and they linked arms and tried to grab each one of these people as they were spinning around in the surf. And RNA was the only one that they couldn't rescue. He just kept getting pulled further and further and further out. And to the point where he was just a head floating 100 feet out, 200 feet out, um, and, and just couldn't make it back to shore. We have another 911 call from the scene we want to play from a woman calling to try to get help for the boy. There's two kids. One of them is really close to shore in the break. The other one's kind of going further out, maybe 100, 200 yards out. But the waves are big. It was a sneaker wave that came and took them out. And there's a rescuer in the water who's, who's got one child out or one person's out? It was a group, yeah. They just got one out. There's still a kid out there. So, Nora, what are sneaker waves and why are they so dangerous? If you're at the beach and the waves are crashing against the shore, I think most people generally feel like they have a sense of control. They feel like they know about where each wave is going to end and then start to recede. But sneaker waves are waves that just keep going further and further up the beach and don't stop and more water just keeps coming. And then when they start to recede, they have so much momentum and so much energy and they're dragging that back into the ocean. These can knock people off their feet. They, there are examples of sneaker waves actually moving cars. These are incredibly powerful waves. And the thing is, is they don't always look that scary or that different from other waves as they're approaching the shore. So it can be hard to detect when one is actually coming at you until it's coming at you. They're a local phenomenon. They affect Northern California, Oregon, Southern Washington, and pretty much nowhere else in the world except for Iceland. The reason for that is the topography of the ocean floor. Um, so as the ocean kicks up these really powerful waves, the waves just roll in and there's nothing to stop their momentum as they're coming towards Bay Area beaches. In the story, I describe the wave that hits Sadat Pruthi, the first one. He was standing at the water's edge and the water was coming up to his toes. And then as the sneaker wave approached, he started running away from it. And as he's running, the wave came and hit him in the back. So you think as fast as he was hauling it from the edge of, of the water, it still had enough water coming towards him that it's, you know, hit him in the middle of his back. That's a really good example of a sneaker wave. And there were, as we said, a number of incidents this past uh, fall and winter. Was that a, a coincidence or, or was there a reason for, for so much tragedy? So sneaker waves are rare, but they do happen whenever there are storms off the coast that generate a lot of energy and put a lot of energy into the ocean surface. That energy ends up on the coastline. And so they these sneaker waves, they happen. They happen in any given year. And typically the period from November to December and December to January are 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 really bad for sneaker waves. And then again in the summertime you get them in June and July and August, but they're a little bit less powerful then. Um, so January is really the worst month for them. And I was looking back, I was trying to find, 
evidence for another year that had been this deadly. And there just wasn't any evidence for it. You might have one sneaker wave death a year maximum, maybe two. Um, so this was a really unusual year that you had eight people die just in the Bay Area. And the more that I talked to different rescue groups and county officials, the more it seemed that the factor here that made it so deadly was just the sheer number of people that were at the beach. You had all of these factors. You had really warm weather, no rain, everyone's cooped up in their houses, and people are looking for things to do and they're going to the beach. And a really surprising thing to me once I looked at a pattern here was every single one of these deaths happened either around a holiday or on a holiday, on a weekend. Arne disappeared on Martin Luther King Day. Um, the first death was on Thanksgiving Day. So it it was really clear that the pandemic played a role and probably was responsible for the death toll this past year. And again, the common theme here is that the waves tend to always surprise people. And we do want to play one more 911 call in which the operator even talks about how people aren't prepared for these waves. I know these waves are just, they're, yeah, it's the current so strong today. Yeah, and people just don't believe the warnings that are going out. You know, I'm getting them on my phone like three or four times a day and people just don't, you know, I don't think they believe it. All right, we're going to take a quick break on Fifth and Mission. More with Nora Mashanik when we come back. We're going to find out exactly what happened to RNA Pruthi after he was swept to sea. And we're going to talk about what might be done to be able to uh, alleviate this problem somewhat. Fifth and Mission, right after this. We'll be right back after a short break. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited Chronicle access at sfchronicle.com slash pod. Welcome back to Fifth and Mission. I'm Damian Bulwa, joined by Chronicle reporter Nora Mashanik, who's been writing about the danger of sneaker waves and the case of RNA Pruthi. Uh, Nora, before we go further, uh, I want to play, you spoke to uh, an expert on sneaker waves, Dr. Tuba Ozcan Holler, a researcher at Oregon State University, not only about sneaker waves, but also efforts to build a better warning system. Let's listen to a little bit of that. What we communicate, what we learned from hurricane forecasts is that it's not just what we communicate that's important. Yes, we need accurate forecasts. Yes, we need them to be specific. But it also matters how we communicate this information down to um, what colors we use in order to uh, put cartoons together when we're doing our messaging. Um, so this understanding gained from hurricane risk communication is certainly useful. But sneaker waves are, are a different kind of hazards, hazard than hurricanes, right? Hurricanes are very acute hazard. Um, they, they, a few of them happen a year. Sneaker waves are a very chronic hazard, right? They happen all the time. They happen frequently and they happen year after year after year. So the kind of communication strategies we might have to use might be different for sneaker waves. So there's some research that might need to be done in that realm. So again, um, what I would love uh, for us to get to is a situation where we can say on this particular beach or on, at this particular jetty, sneaker wave um, uh, percentages, you know, chances of sneaker waves are 80%. And so if you were 
person who's trying to figure out what beach to go to, you can make an informed choice and maybe choose the beach where sneaker wave activity possibilities are lower on that particular day um, and visit that other beach you had been thinking about on a later date when the chances are lower. What can you tell us specifically about Northern California? Um, so Northern California has the kind of narrow shelf that really lends itself to um, you know, for the area being more susceptible or more influenced by sneaker waves. So in general, I would tell folks that um, as they are engaging in recreational activities near the beach, that they should just be aware that sneaker wave activity is always a possibility, right? Don't turn your back to the ocean, but also make sure that you have a way of getting out of the wave of a fast approaching sneaker wave, you know, within about 30 seconds. Um, so um, making sure that you have an exit plan, if you will, in the case that 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 um, the edge of the water comes chasing you. Nora, what ultimately happened to Arune Pruthi and his family? So after Arune was swept out to sea, there were lifeguards that responded to the beach. There was a harbor patrol boat, boat that was sent racing down the coast. And by the time the lifeguards got there, they couldn't spot him in the water the same for the boat and he just disappeared into the water and was never seen since his family initially pleaded with the coast guard to continue the search after they called it off 17 hours after he was last seen and they also went to their congressman and just wanted to keep this search going and they were told what all families are told which is we do rescue missions we don't do recovery missions and so they decided to independently try a recovery mission and they raised hundreds of thousands of dollars from friends and strangers and even rna's soccer teammates helped comb the beaches and they hired all sorts of professionals from helicopters to you know underwater recovery experts to try to find his body and they did this for about six weeks. Just every single weekend, there were people out looking for him, just hoping that they would be able to find him on some remote beach or, you know, that he would turn up in a cove or something, just anything to give this family a body that they could mourn. And after six weeks, they decided to call off their own recovery effort and in early March, they commissioned one last helicopter search for his body, and I went on the helicopter that day, and it really became evident to me, flying up in that helicopter, why this had been so difficult. Just the thought of one tiny little 12-year-old body in this vast ocean and just thousands of coves and rocks, I mean, it it boggled my mind to, to see just how small a human being would be in in that landscape and it unfortunately they they dropped me off in the helicopter and they made one last pass up from um, bodega bay down to big sur and back and and they didn't find him and that was the last search and um, the family now has to move forward knowing that they might never see his body again you wrote that they want to try to make sure this doesn't happen to any other families. And you also wrote about other people who are frustrated 
that this keeps happening, um, that people keep getting surprised by these waves. What what are the efforts that are, are being done to make this better? I think in talking to a number of county officials and rescuers for this, working on this story, they kept saying that what we really need in Northern California is a shift in the way that we think about a trip to the beach. I spoke to a man named Matt Barnes who leads water rescues in Marin County. And he said that he really thinks that Californians Californians need to think about the beach the same way they would think about any wilderness area. So he said, if you go on a hike, you're going to think about all the safety precautions you need to take before you go on that hike. And people need to think about the ocean in the same way. So not just life jackets at the beach, but getting people to check the warnings before they head to the beach so they know what conditions exist once they get there. And maybe they choose to go on a different day if they see that one day is going to be particularly treacherous for high surf or sneaker waves. There's also an effort in San, Ma- San Mateo County especially to educate people about what are called pocket beaches, which is the kind of beach that the Pruthies were at um, the day that RNA disappeared. They're these curved beaches that are very secluded and the shape of them makes them particularly dangerous when you have a lot of water rushing in and out. Um, They're also just difficult for rescuers to get to. So if something happens, it's really hard to get people to get help, essentially. So there's a big effort now in San Mateo County to not only educate people on the dangers of this type of beach, but also just make people more aware that if they need help, help is going to be further away. So one of the most important things you can do at the beach is have an exit strategy. So if we know that sneaker waves surge much further up the beach than we're predicting, then having a place where you can escape to is really important. And in a lot of beaches along the Northern California coast, there's a cliff. So you can't actually escape if there's a lot of water coming towards you. So that's just one rule of thumb that I learned, but I think it's a, it's a, maybe the most important thing is just going somewhere where if there's a surge of water coming towards you, you're going to be able to, to get away from it. Nora, you've worked on this story for a number of months. I wonder if it's had an impact on you and how you look at the beach and, and what you might even tell other people when they go to the beach. I After doing this story, I don't think I'll ever look at the beach the same way again. I I think for me, the idea of the beach as a place for relaxation, enjoyment, to a place to just have fun and let your guard down, that's that's shattered for me. I, I after reporting about RNA and what happened to him, I I can't think of the beach as anything other than a, a really dangerous place. All right, Nora, let's leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us, and thank you for telling this story. Thanks for having me. My guest today on Fifth and Mission was Nora Mashanik, Chronicle staff writer. Thanks to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.